Hi and welcome to the Neurodivergent Birth Podcast. We are Victoria White and Sam Shepherd, two neurodivergent birth and postnatal doulas with a passion for spreading awareness of the perinatal experiences of neurodivergent people and improving outcomes for them and their families. Each week we'll be covering a new topic around neurodiversity and the impact being neurodivergence can have on pregnancy, birth and beyond. We'll be interviewing neurodivergent people with lived experience and others who are working with neurodivergent birthing people, including researchers, medical professionals and birth workers. We are not ourselves medical professionals or qualified to provide advice in any way. We will share information and research and collaborate with others to promote awareness, understanding and improved support. So welcome and thanks for joining us in this conversation. Victoria. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. We're going to cover a fairly big topic within this wider topic of neurodivergent birth, and that is anxiety. Which we're giggling about. (laughs) I just said to Sam before we started that we can definitely talk about this because we very much live (laughs) this in our daily lives. But yeah, it's 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 pretty well known, I think, that anxiety, or maybe it's not well known, but anxiety is one of the, um, or can be one of the biggest disablers for neurodivergent people. Um, many ND people will both say that they experience anxiety to some degree. And I think a lot of people can think that maybe it's part, almost like a symptom of neurodivergence, but... Um, it's quite clear that from the research that it's not a result of being neurodivergent in itself, but it's a result of the way that neurodivergent people tend to have to adapt to function in a world that is very much tailored to meet neurotypical needs. It's almost like it's part of not you being your authentic self or not being able to be your authentic self. Um, Yeah trying to be something different as we probably all know experience at some point it's not easy (laughs) you know if you're trying to fit in or learn something or adapt and not you don't feel very comfortable just in any like way of life um or anything we experience can be really anxiety inducing but Mm. but having the added elements uh, of neurodivergence on top whatever that looks like just really amplifies it so which makes it then harder to be yourself right so then the anxiety kicks in um, yeah so yeah it kind of it kind of escalates quite quickly the anxiety but yeah the, it isn't anxiety that's the issue of neurodivergence but because it's in a neurotypical world trying to fit in the anxiety then increases for sure and it kind of becomes I think one of the sort of results of lots of the other things that we've talked about so we've interviewed lots of amazing people who've shared their experiences and you and I have talked about the sensory overwhelm associated with pregnancy, birth and postnatal period and also the issues around communication and different communication styles between neurodivergent people and neurotypical people. And those challenges 
lead to anxiety, right? When you're somebody who has challenges in those areas of of life, that can feed into the anxiety. But if we're looking specifically at like perinatal anxiety, I think perinatal anxiety is is something a lot of people relate to, right? It's something that both neurotypical and neurodivergent people experience. Yeah, sure. You know, it's, it's that sort of unknown, isn't it? Not knowing what to expect, going into, you know, being pregnant, having a baby, what birth might look like. Look like. That in itself, again, we've mentioned it before, in our world where you can control everything very easily, the click of a, a button, I can like, order something on Amazon and it'll be here tonight, or, you know, I can control my central heating from an app on my phone, even though I'm not home, where we can control everything in our lives. This is something now that we're all having to get to grips of that we can't control around birth and what that looks like and expectations of that. Mm. But then, you know, the added element of, oh, my goodness, change. You know, some people, again, not all people who are neurodivergent are going to struggle with change, for instance, as to yeah. what their routine could look like. And not knowing what to expect can be really anxiety-inducing. Yeah, I think anxiety at, at this stage of life, whether it's trying to conceive right through to being in the postnatal period with a new baby, there's so much a need to kind of let go of the need to control. And uh, many people will relate to that being quite an anxiety-inducing time, the uncertainty and the lack of control around the situation. But for neurodivergent people who uh, really kind of have a, a need to maybe plan and to be really informed about things to feel safe, then if that's not possible to the level that they would like it to be, then that can lead to some really like debilitating levels of anxiety. Yeah, for sure. And I think it also then so kind of naturally, again, not always, but naturally kind of then leans into, you know, embarrassment or shame about then talking about that anxiety, about things that might be, you know, like a natural or normal thing to yeah. be going through which adds, again, another level actually of stress and anxiety, doesn't it? Because you want to reach out and get support, but maybe you feel like you should be coping better than you are. And maybe the questions you're asking, because you might need that for your, um, you know, to process things. Just what does that all all look like then? It's all, it can all get quite muddy. And I think, again, not all neurodivergent people, but a lot of people find that a kind of way of feeling a bit more in control is to have some sometimes quite rigid routines, right? We talk about this in our workshops. Um, we have a section on kind of repetitive behaviours and routines and what those can look like, but how they can be quite like a soothing, regulating thing for people to have in their lives. And then when we think about having a baby and life with a new baby, suddenly the the ability to stay in that routine maybe sort of out the window right I mean some babies fit very well into routine but I would say it's probably not you know babies change things and uh, routines change and that can be really difficult yeah so it's, it's hard enough you know being a neurodivergent trying to deal with your own stuff but yeah. then have an added element of another person that you have to deal with like because you know you have to do certain things but actually they might be the things that you probably would avoid normally. So, but then knowing you have to do that can be really stressful. It was funny because I was, we were talking about this um, 
because I also did just say um, do the training and we were talking about this on the do the training. Yeah. Uh, expectations about what optimal, like, I don't know, what's optimal for your baby and you. Yeah. But what might seem optimal isn't practically for people that might have high anxiety or high stress levels um, and need to routine or manage things in a way to help them. Um, so we can't generalize, you know, we might think, oh, well, if you just do this because it's a natural way or a normal way or a bit more gentler, actually, sometimes that isn't that straightforward for the person involved, neurodivergent, for example, and need a routine or need things yeah. um, set out so that they, um, you know, actually can like live day to day and function well. So, yeah, that can bring another element, I think. That's a really interesting point because I think um... – probably how I was parented was very much within a routine and probably parenting today or life with a new baby today a lot of people really um are strong advocates of not having a routine right responsive parenting and attachment parenting where you're just you know responding on demand to your baby's needs and that's kind of um often talked about I think by many as being like the right way or the optimal optimal way (laughs) To do things the way you should, I hate shoulds, but the way you should be doing things. And, um, you know, I you like personally, I myself am drawn towards like a more like attachment style parenting. But I had I had never really thought about it from the point of view of, you know, overall well-being for parent, baby and family might not be that style of, of sort of really on demand parenting. And it might require a bit more structure and a bit more of a routine. And we might quickly go in with judgment about that. Like if if we learn that a baby's on a very rigid kind of schedule, what does that make us think? But actually that might that might be best for parent and baby because it, that is is helping the parent to the the parent needs that routine to to stay feeling safe and in control. And I, you know, I think you're right. It is sometimes about functioning, isn't it? It's about um, about you know, when we've got coping strategies that have taken time and years to figure out, and then suddenly that's all up in the air, and you really want to do the best you can, but also realizing what your activation or trigger points are, and knowing that you don't want to get to those, but equally knowing what is perhaps optimal for the baby, that can be like really conflicting yeah it pulls you in both directions doesn't it um and it is about balance and you know so it was a really interesting conversation we've had um around you know again that people do what they need to do for their own reasons and we Mm. can't judge that because when it comes to people coping and surviving or not yeah then it's not to be taken lightheartedly is it these decisions no so no, I think it's a it's really good to have to have balance when we're thinking about yeah. meeting everybody's needs. Absolutely. Another thing that I think about when we're talking about anxiety is like social anxiety. And we'll we touched a bit on this when we when we did an episode on communication, because there's suddenly that expectation that you will communicate with strangers. <laughs> Uh, from the very beginning of your pregnancy right through and by that I mean kind of healthcare professionals but all of a sudden you're kind of encouraged to socialize with other pregnant people and with other 
uh, new parents and on top of that you may well be approached by people you don't even know who suddenly feel like the fact that you're um obviously a pregnant person means they can talk to you about that um probably in a very well-meaning way but the anxiety that that can result in is is yeah, yeah potentially really big Absolutely, because then you've got people with their own thoughts and their own views on things. Opinions. Yeah, and like often advice and there's lots of, you know, like, "Mm, can I offer your own back and all these things that might be. But then, you know, people say things. And like you said, most of the time it's because, you know, they're bothered, they're caring, they want to check in, see how you do it. Like babies bring people together, don't they, as a whole. You see a baby and people want to talk to you and you know, people will say what they need to say and then they'll go. The neurodivergent person will then be left with all these extra thoughts in their head. You know, whoever it is has spoken to them, told them this, that, and the other bits of advice, do's and don'ts, what's worked for them, what they shouldn't be doing, should be doing. And then they walk away and, you know, that person's left with, oh, my gosh, like lots of bent out, more anxiety about if they're doing the right thing or not. And, you know, it can, again, be quite quite the minefield, I think. Um, yeah. Especially when they've got those thoughts, like, rumbling in their head um, as to whether they're doing the right thing. So more anxiety is introduced. Yeah. This really makes me think about information overload as well, because somebody shared with us on our Instagram page about their hyperfocus. So this was a person with ADHD who became, became who was pregnant and became very fixated on the topic of pregnancy, birth and postnatal to the point where they were missing meals and deadlines and were just, it became really debilitating. And they said that actually the amount of information available to them, and I guess the amount of opinions and everything that we get thrown at us, um, really contributed to their anxiety. And that's, I think that's such a different experience or that's such a common experience now compared to perhaps 20 years ago, probably more than 20 years ago. When did the internet come back, come about? Uh, more than 20 years ago now, but I think I was 14. So it's more than 20 years ago. But because all this information is so accessible to us at all times of day, that can really, I think that can really contribute to anxiety, right? Particularly if you are a person who likes a plan, likes to feel in control. So you might have some quite rigid thinking around how things are going to be because you've researched it to the nth degree and then it's it's not that way for you and you just feel really disappointed or just really kind of confused or scared even because the reality is not matching all the research that you did, all the information you were given. And especially when people are tired, right? Tired, it's night time, it's really quiet, you know, you're up feeding or not or you're just not sleeping, and then you're Googling. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like, well, I don't. It's, 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 a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, really? Like you wish like that the internet wasn't available for that time so that people could Google. But equally, sometimes it, it's quite grounding for people, reassuring for people yeah. to be able to like, reach out and access that. But, yeah, you know, like years ago, <laughs> I'm going to show my age now, uh, you know, before the internet. Before the internet. Actually, yeah. We we couldn't access things like that that no. quickly. So we have to wait until like the library was open, right? Yeah. Or we could go somewhere to buy a book. Um, so again, there's pros and cons for everything. 
But there's a massive, I think, society as a whole, right? The overload of information and overstimulation is huge as it is. I think we all feel it all the time, don't we? Yeah. yeah. And then to add upon that with, um, like you said, hyperfixations and anxiety mm-hmm. and all the other things, then it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. I think I've talked about this before. I often struggle with remembering what I've said before on these podcasts. (laughs) For me, my personal experience of hyperfixation is around the topic of sleep with with a new baby, like to the point of just becoming quite ill with the fixation on baby sleep because my baby wasn't sleeping and she was very colicky and all my energy and all my day the whole day was was structured around the optimal uh, nap schedule and the optimal awake windows between naps because I had this like fixation and this kind of uh, belief that that would lead to better sleep at night and it never did and it you know became very debilitating you know to the point where if a nap didn't happen on the schedule like for me it was the end it was literally like the end of the world you know like floods of tears and walking through the streets pushing a pram with a an awake baby that to my mind should have been asleep in floods of tears and it's just uh yeah really robs the joy out of that time potentially and and I think a lot of people can relate to that or fixations around feeding I see um you know a lot of people really worried and concerned about what their baby's eating or what they as the as a uh, breast or chest feeding parent are eating and when their baby's potentially a bit fussy or having some issues with allergies minefield this goes on this goes on yeah, and the interesting thing is, is like this sort of stuff sticks. Mm. It kind of never totally goes away. Um, so even when your baby's like, I now, I was a little bit similar with the sleep thing. But yeah. even now, if I don't get enough sleep, I get really panicky. Yes. I think, what if I don't sleep tomorrow? How am I going to feel? How am I going to react to things? And actually function like, I. Uh, you know, I do get that, that even now. I mm. I go on a spiral of, oh, my God, I've had, like, little sleep. I need sleep. What if tonight I don't get any sleep? And, you know, the worst thing is that's a bit um, self-fulfilling, isn't it? Because then you're yeah. worried and then you don't sleep very well. Um, and, but, you know, with coping strategies, that's got easier. But this sort of stuff sticks. It doesn't just go away. It, it sometimes just manifests or moves into something different. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, as your babies get older, you know, through those first weeks, you're months. quite triggered by that sort of sleep. Yes, the, the fear of the lack of sleep because you've been there yeah. in the past. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, very tricky. So, when we're thinking about supporting anxiety, what what can we do to help? Well, anybody with anxiety because it's an often it's a common experience uh, perinatally. But it's it's definitely you know the case that neurodivergent people will tend to feel anxious or feel an increase in levels of anxiety around this time. So how can we support people? That's a very good question. It's a big question. <laughs> I like yeah, big, big questions. Question. Yeah, solve like all do, the problems, Sam. Yeah, solve all the problems. Really, I really like broad, <laughs> like 
ticks all the answers, like response. Um, but, you know, it's about that individualized care. Fundamentally, firstly, it's like asking the question, you know, yeah. ask people what they need, what works for them, what they've found over the years helps alleviate any of that anxiety. Yeah. Um, and what that looks like to them, because we can talk about routines or calming strategies, you know, if people you know, are stressed and they need self-soothing strategies that they've had for years. Yeah. I think, I think it's knocking out the embarrassment or the shame of it, mm. you know, because if you talk about it and you're open about it, then the shame goes. It's yeah. like, well, we all, we talk about baby self-soothing and actually they can't very well. They need us to help them with that. But we're obsessed with that. <laughs> yes. and we are obsessed with yeah. Yes. But equally... Then I think we we know strategies to self, you know, to soothe or um, like you know people that um, are stimming, like to use mm-hmm. stuff to like bring our anxiety down. We also need help with that. So actually asking for help and getting the help um, and speaking about what works for you, you know, I think that's sort of the good starting point. It's just actually and not presume, right? We're not assuming anything. And yeah, maybe what is helpful is to have a routine or to help. To be supported in achieving as much of that routine as is possible. And yeah, that's where being free of judgment is so important. You know, people will have different reasons for needing to do things the way they need to do them. But if they ultimately it comes down to feeling safe, doesn't it? We need to support people to feel safe in whatever way works for them. Sometimes we, with anxiety, we do want to rush in and make somebody feel better, like as, as fast as possible, right? And that might like be like reassure them that everything's okay. But we have to be careful not to um, downplay their their what they're feeling and experiencing by sort of you know sweeping it under the carpet. Oh, it's all going to be fine. Don't worry. So yeah, I always think number one is is like validation, validation of your thoughts and feelings, acknowledgement that like what you're feeling and thinking is a totally valid response to your situation. Absolutely. You know, yeah, because, and listening to people because sometimes you might just be that listening in and that's all they need to offload. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, there's no need to fix people. They can sort themselves out. But with the right support around them where they feel you know, they can be themselves actually, then that can be much easier um for them to for them to do, you know, to, to work through actually what they what they really do need, whether it's a routine or whether it's time out, you know, for themselves actually to take breathers now and again with anxiety. Or whether there is some kind of interest that they really love that they want to talk about that's just totally not about the baby at all, you know? Yeah. And I also I'm gonna I'm laughing at myself because I bang on about self-compassion so much. But personally, I think discovering just the concept of self-compassion and then trying to show myself some more compassion, which is like an ongoing learning process. But that was like that I that was the turning point for my mental health perinatally was being able to like show that to myself and not just kind of berate myself for feeling the way I was feeling or feel like lots and lots of shame around it so if it's okay with you Sam I'd like to do a little self-compassion exercise with you and anyone who's listening to like finish off today's episode if that's okay so this is a really lovely um exercise called the self-compassion break 
And you can find this exercise and other exercises at self-compassion.org, which is the website of Dr. Kristen Neff, who is a pioneering researcher in the field of self-compassion. So basically, I invite you to think of a situation in your life that's difficult and that is causing you stress. And what we're going to do is we're going to apply the three elements of self-compassion to that. So these are mindfulness, humanity and kindness. So when we call the situation to mind, just take a moment to actually see if you can, you know, can you feel the stress and the discomfort in your body? And when you're sort of sitting with that, even though that feels uncomfortable, then we do the the mindfulness piece. So number one, say to yourself, this is a moment of suffering. That's recognition, being mindful of what you're experiencing. And other options include this hurts, this is stress, this is painful. And then say to yourself, number two, suffering is a part of life. And that's the common humanity piece. Other options include other people feel this way. I'm not alone. We all struggle in our lives. Now I invite you to You can put your hands over your heart, you can feel the warmth of your hands, or you can adopt any soothing touch that feels nice for you and say to yourself, number three, may I be kind to myself? You could also ask yourself, what do I need to hear? What do I need to hear right now to express kindness to myself? Is there a phrase that speaks to you in your situation, such as may I give myself the compassion I need? May I learn to accept myself as I am. May I forgive myself. May I be strong. May I be patient. And that's it. Very simple. One, two, and three. Mindfulness, humanity, kindness. And you can use that practice any time of day or night. And it'll help you to remember to evoke the three aspects of self-compassion when you need it most. Thank you. You're welcome. So, yeah. I think it's been really useful to talk about anxiety, something that many people relate to, but certainly something that shows up in neurodivergent people's lives and that we can, you know, support each other in, particularly when we're looking at the perinatal experience and how to have better outcomes for neurodivergent people and their families. Absolutely. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so that's it for today from us. We'd love you to join us next week. So next week, it's episode 11. Oh, my goodness. We're nearly at the end of season one. And we interview Nanny Kimbo. Kim is a doula and identifies as neuroqueer. They are half of the Queer Parenting Partnership. And with Kim, we talk all about neurodivergence, but we also look at the topic of gender diversity and neurodivergence and delve into that a bit more. So it's a really interesting episode. Don't miss it. Join us next week.